0: What's up, fantasy nerds? Welcome back to another episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And today, Drew and I are wrapping up our latest installment of... <laughs> I'm going to start that again. Fuck, <laughs> our latest installment. So today, Drew and I are wrapping up the latest installment of our Katie Martin's Tix Kalan series with the second half. Of a desolation called peace. Drew, we picked up at chapter 10 and we continued on right through the end of the book, so let's get that weekly recap, dude. Take it off.
1: Yeah. Things hit the ground running in the second half of this book, beginning with Mahit and three seagrass heading down to the sandy Paloa 2 to meet with the aliens for the first time. After a brief but hot and dehydrating and tiring dialogue, the two return to wait for the wheel where they have sex. Meanwhile, events are beginning to move quickly. The dead alien body, aboard the wait for the wheel, spreads a fungal infection, which kills the medical technician inspecting it. Twenty Cicada quarantines himself after coming into contact with it as well. Back in the city, Eight Antidote finds himself ever closer to the center of things, as he attends war meetings and ingratiates himself with Three Azimuth, the Minister of War. Eight Antidote, attempting to learn more about Three Seagrass and Mahit, leaves the palace and heads to the spaceport. While there, he sees a courier station, but cannot meet with anyone because a trail is derailed and the place is evacuated. He suspects a bombing, especially after Five Agate shows up to take him back to the palace. Mahit and Three Seagrass, along with a now-cleared Twenty Cicada, head back down for another round of negotiations. While there, Mahit and Reed are recalled to wait for the wheel as Eight Antidote has questions for them. With Swarm carrying on negotiations with the aliens, the answers Eight Antidote gets help him begin putting the puzzle together. He realizes the aliens are a collective consciousness. At the same time, Nine Hibiscus's fleet discovers a populated system, perhaps one of the homes of the aliens. She tries to stall on making a decision of whether or not to bomb and irradiate the planet. But Sixteen Moonrise also learns of the planet. She puts her fleet in motion which spurs the aliens into an all-out attack on portions of the fleet and even LaSalle Station. Eight Antidote begs Nineteen Ads not to command the bombing of the planet, as Three Azimuth wants, but she gives the order anyway. With the clock ticking, Hewer hatches a plan to intercept the message and send one of his own. He commandeers a shard pilot and, using the shard trick, connects with the courier and stops the Emperor's command. His own order, stopping the bombing, finds its way to wait for the wheel. 16 Moonrise and her legion ignore the order, however, as Mahit is confronted by Darge Tarots and Swarm struggles with the decision to ingest the alien fungi. In a last-ditch effort, he does, and convinces the alien consciousness to halt attacks. 9 Hibiscus makes a deal with the aliens to stop the 24th legion and 16 Moonrise, preventing the war from spiraling out of control. 8 Antidote and 19 Az discuss his decision to countermand her, and she is proud of him. Mahit is banished from LaSalle Station for good, and Three Seagrass offers her home in the jewel of the world as somewhere for Mahit to go. Mahit declines, but promises to stay in touch. Nine Hibiscus, bereft of her adjutant, is left to take care of Twenty Cicada's plants and one adorable little black kitten. And in the end, it is Twenty Cicada, better and more appropriately known as Swarm, who spearheads the newly opened channel of communication with the aliens, Attempting to teach them language and understanding of humanity. Okay, okay,
0: so jumping into style, shall I start? Shall you start? Yeah. What are we doing? You, you can start. I'm going to begin by saying that for this episode, uh, being for you know, as I said, a desolation called peace. I think I'm going to just cede any claim to be reviewing this. In a completely objective manner. And the reason for this is because of how little I enjoyed the book. But also taking into account that I know Arcady Martine is an incredible writer. The juxtaposition between those two sentiments. That's going to be why I'm taking a bit of a further step back today. I'm going to let you, Drew, out, as you deserve to do the heavy lifting for like the literary analysis part of things. I'm just going to be giving like, subjective feedback. What kind of book this was for me. As somebody who reads and enjoys the kind of books that I normally do. So, too long didn't listen. This book was torture for me to get through. But I understand and I acknowledge that it is a great book. You just got to be into this kind of thing, and I'm just not.
1: Yeah, so. I find that really interesting that you you didn't like this book as much, uh, even, even as much as A Memory Called Empire. Um, yeah. Because A Memory Called Empire was pretty thoroughly concerned with politics. And that's not to say that this book isn't concerned with politics, but it is also a war story. And and I what I appreciate about it is that it, it doesn't just throw you into the violence of war, but takes into account all the aspects of what goes into a war, what is going going on back home during a war, why is a war happening, you know, what what are the motivations of the people on the front lines. Uh you know, I, I brought up in our first episode, how I thought this book was all about borders and boundaries. And, and that is very much the case. Uh, it, you know, now, now that you've read the whole book and we can talk about the whole book. Uh, it, it is about that, that event horizon in a lot of ways. It's, it's the choice to put yourself into a new situation. It's the choice to, Learn something new uh, when when I talked about those boundaries in the first episode. I you know I talked a lot about the relationship between Mahit and uh, uh, three seagrass, and I talked about the borders of the empire, the expanding empire, and and the dangers beyond those borders. And here in the second half of the book, what we what we get into is a lot more of internal boundaries. It's it's swarm deciding to step off the edge and and you know take a chance at crossing that boundary of intelligence and and um, psychology to learn and engage with the aliens. It's about eight antidote making that choice to go back to the starport to leave the boundaries of the palace to leave his comfort zone his choice to step over the previous bounds he'd lived in and and countermand the emperor uh, herself Uh, it's his choice to push the boundaries of what he's allowed to do he finally uh, he, he finally makes use and discovers how many clearances he has, and he penetrates straight through all of these boundaries in the palace, straight to 19 Ads's quarters. You know, there, there are so many boundaries and, and borders explored and crossed in the second half of this book. And I think it's just brilliant on on Martine's part here, how she set up a lot of external boundaries. For characters in the first half, and then in the second half, she had them deal with those boundaries while also dealing with uh, expanding their own horizons internally. It's it's just this all-encompassing theme woven seamlessly together.
0: I can't say I picked up on any of that, and I have to I have to take that step back and try to and, and just. And look at why. And I just—I think this book is just over my head. I really do. In a, in a large part, that's probably in large part why I, I didn't enjoy it. You know, hmm. um, and it hurts me to say that because I know Drew how much you love this book. Yeah. You know, and I've been hearing you, and I've been hearing many others glow about this series and, and about Arcady Martin for months now. And I—I I get that she's a really, really talented writer. I just—I don't really—I—I I don't have the tools to appreciate how brilliant she hmm. really is. Like. I, 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 I just don't know what else to say. For me, it felt like this entire book was politics and intrigue and travel and culture shock. And I've been very vocal about this in the past, including on our last episode. There's no re- need to, like, rehash this point too egregiously. I just don't enjoy politics. Politics really bore me. And in abundance, it kind of infuriates me. I'm more of an action and spectacle kind of guy. Call it simple, that may be it. There is pretty much zero action of any kind in this book. There were some, but there was also a span of about 300 pages across like the middle huge section of this book where the most exciting thing to happen for me, again, for me, was two main characters having their first face-to-face conversation with the aliens. And there was like 150 pages on either side of that scene where not a lot really happened that really interested me. So I just, it it was tough to get through for
1: me. Okay. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I I mean you're right in that there isn't a whole lot of like action like our main characters are not fighting. There's a war going on around there's them. There's
0: no assassination attempt, there's no chase, there's no like it's, the, the it's...
1: closest is when eight antidote uses the sharp trick and he experiences mm-hmm.
0: Right, he experiences the deaths and everything that's happening and yeah. what they're really going through on all ends of this conflict in the yeah. moment as it's happening, and I was I was totally into it in like in that moment as well. And these aliens, I wanted so badly to know more about these aliens. I was so on board for these aliens. They are so creepy. They are so cool. Yeah. There's like the world building that that Martine. Even I can see how great her world building is. Like. I, I just, I want, (laughs) I wanted more of the, of that side of things. I wanted to be stuck in three seagrasses head less and in Mahit's head less. And I wanted to be with eight antidote, a little more nine hibiscus, a little more. And I wanted a lot more confrontation with these aliens more than, than we got, Hmm. but it was about what I was expecting. And partly because I was expecting that, expecting that I was, you know, kind of setting
1: myself up for failure. Yeah, I, I guess that makes sense. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I, so I wanted to talk... My my other kind of... Or one of my other main style points... Is... The use of point of view here. Okay. And... You know, we talked a lot about how... Uh, in, in our first episode, how there are more points of view. We have more major point of view characters in this. But but I only really mentioned it in the first half and I didn't focus on it too much. What I think the most incredible part of this book is, is the alien points of view.
0: Oh my God. They were cool.
1: How, how she manages to make English words feel alien. How, how she manages to get across the point that they don't think in language, even though she's telling us in language. She has no choice, yeah. It's it's one of the more ambitious and, at least in my mind, demanding things I've ever seen a an author attempt. And I think she really pulled it off. Like, just going to the end. The postlude. To think as a person and to not think language. To think fractal scatter song, the shape of an unfamiliar body, an inclusion like a garnet in the matrix of a stone. Stone, still, but otherwise, crystalline and complete. Inside that crystal language, like the mouth cries of unpersons but made singable. Lodges and reverberates, isolated until necessary. We, singing all through us, singing harmonic variants, vibration on an almost interfering frequency. This body, that body. This body had a call sign when it wasn't a person, and it is not the only one. This body was called LEAP. And that body, gray pattern. This body, sweetling, and that body, cleverer than littermates. And so... This new body singing in the Wii called Swarm, which is a laughing name now. Like yeah. all of those words are English and and fairly common. You know, the, she she has a an elevated vocabulary, but not not outrageous.
0: She doesn't always need yeah, exactly. She knows but it, like, when she should apply
1: it. But when put in the sequence and with these strange and and um meandering sentence structures it's easy to get caught up in reading the words and not not getting the meaning of them because they're arranged in an unfamiliar way and i can't even begin to fathom how this author's mind works to think to create these these sentences
0: yeah, I could read an entire book of this. I would love an entire book of this. I again with these aliens, I'm so fascinated by them. I could like, I just it was what every we kept going back into three sea. It was it was three seagrass. It was for me. I I hated being in her head this time around. I loved three seagrass in a memory called yeah, Empire. Yeah. I remember glowing about her in that episode? I think this one she frustrated me. I was in her head for too long. I think.
1: Yeah. But okay. yeah,
0: with these, with like oh, that that postlude, I came across that. I was paying attention to see how this may or may not have been changed or influenced by Swarm by Twenty Cicada. And then when they acknowledged him at the end in the laughing name, now I was laughing about the laughing name at that point. I was like, oh, that was a nice touch. Yeah, there were things that I did very, very much enjoy in this book, and I will definitely be going over each and every one of them in detail.
1: Yeah, um, and and so I I wanted to just touch on my last style point. And that's, you know, what did you think of the epigraphs in this book?
0: The epigraphs.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, they added so much. I think they almost added too much to the world building. And that's, I think that's how I feel about them. They were interesting. If, <laughs> if you're into that kind of thing, again, I'm really, really dancing around a lot of lines here. I don't want to be too harsh. I didn't care for them too much, but they were Amazing world-building tools. They may have been the best world-building
1: epigraphs I've seen. So, the epigraphs are my main criticism of this book. Okay. Not that they were bad, and... There didn't seem to be much
0: direction for them, in my opinion.
1: Like, they they very often informed the chapter to come, or, or gave us added context for what we just read but for me i was like <laughs> the opposite of rob <laughs> i was so gripped by the story this this just took hold of me and dragged me along and i'd get to the end of a chapter and and like all good chapter work you, you you're left you know, uh on Tenterhooks, you're 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 excited to find out what happens next at the end of a chapter, and then I turn the page and I see a giant block of text that's like some manual or or a, a public service announcement or something like that, and I'm like, I don't care. I want to get back to the story. And and so I felt but I knew I couldn't just skip the epigraphs because they do provide context. And so I felt like they interrupted the rhythm of the story it, like when i compare these to the epigraphs in something like the stormlight archive or mistborn those are so manageable they're they're in very small chunks 2-3 sentences at the most here we have not only giant block paragraph epigraphs, but there are two epigraphs before every single chapter. And so there's like some of them, it's, it's a full page of text. That's just the epigraphs. And I'm like, I just want to. I want to get back to Mahi. I want to get back to Eight Antidote. I want to get back to Nine Hibiscus. Like I want to get back to I the see. story. This is
0: a smaller scale problem of how I felt about the book as a whole. I wanted to get back to Nine, <laughs> Nine Hibiscus. I wanted to get back to the aliens. Get out of my way, these three seagrass. I don't care. <laughs>
1: <laughs> see, I mean, I was into all of it. Uh, uh, I, but, but yeah. So the epigraphs themselves, as interesting as they were, as, as clever as they were were probably my like the one stumbling block I have with this book. Like I still gave this book five stars on Goodreads. Uh this is yeah, I've I've mentioned this before. This is one of the two best books I think I've read in 2021 so far. And we're recording this on April 30th. Uh it's this and City of Blades. Favorite and so good. I gave both of those books five stars on Goodreads. If I were to, you know, break it down into decimals I'd say they're both around like a 4.8 maybe a 4.9 There were very small issues I had but overall I loved both of the books and for this book the the small issue I had was the way the epigraphs interrupted my cadence and and acted like speed bumps for for the pace of the story So
0: I wouldn't even Bother giving it a a, a rating out of just because I I really shouldn't be rating something that went so far over my head. I, 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 it's not my place to rate something. It's not my place to judge Arcady
1: Martine. So you say this book went over your head? So far over my head. Um, I, I have to imagine it went over your head, or you say it went over your head in a different way than, say, Kane's Law went over your head. Oh yeah, right.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of um. Lingu- linguistic charm and cheek and wit that I'm sure I'm not picking up on.
1: Mhm. Okay. I think that's yeah, like, cuz uh, like she's
0: she's just too good of a linguist for me to totally grasp what she's trying to get across. I can't. Gotcha. I so it's not like you
1: <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. It's not like you didn't grasp what happened in the book oh way, I know I, as know, far as
0: what, what happened in the story I'm there I'm, yeah I have all my three yeah. favorite scenes I can I'm there with you with your uh, your your overview at the beginning totally fine summary mm-hmm. I'm fine it's there, yeah. there's just a lot of um, aesthetic to to appreciate mm-hmm. from what I gather that I just didn't
1: see yeah. uh, and and in comparison King's Law which King's law if, was just if a, somebody if somebody in the world read that book and understood what happened in it the first time, I will shake your hand.
0: <laughs> yeah, you would have because be,
1: that uh, book was just lunatic. wild. I'm, I don't uh, even
0: think, like, I don't even think Stover knew
1: what he wrote <laughs> the first time around. Look, uh, if 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 and when I get to sit down and and talk to that guy, one of the first questions out of my mouth is going to be like, "What the hell were you doing with that book, man?" <laughs> yeah, really. But but no. So back to uh, back to a desolation called peace. Um, do you have any other style points or do you want to get into characters?
0: I just decided to sum up this entire book as, a, as an analogy for me, the experience of this book. Okay? okay. A gorgeous, beautiful desert. Expansive and pretty, but for me, completely empty. I had a mind-numbing trudge through this desert and it was only and barely sustained by the occasional pool of sustenance that was the aliens and their recordings and the negotiations. And then this parasitic fungus arrived. That first big meeting with the aliens, with Mahit and and Three Seagrass, they were trying to uh, establish diplomacy. That was like an oasis in the middle of the desert for me. I was like, yes, beautiful, life-giving water, loving every minute of it. Then uh, the the fungus came to view, and we had this interlude from Six Rainfall, and it was so creepy, and it was so well done and well written. I was like, oh my god, this this entire book is going to change. There's going to be a common enemy. That's what I thought. I was like, (gasps) oh! The aliens are going to recognize that fungus as some sort of galaxy-spanning threat, and it's like some sort of ancient enemy of theirs. Oh no, it's on the wait for the wheel, though. Oh god, it's going to get exciting. Oh, oh, maybe not. Okay, so more politics. So and did problems. you?
1: And then more politics. Did you uh, expect a a plot turn like Illuminae when that fungus? Got onto well, that the fungus
0: went, when? Okay, so when I almost said six rainfall again. So this time I'm talking twenty cicada. When he had it in the little, uh, the little glass tube, he was. Uh-huh. Ra- and they described the sound of it rattling around in there. I thought, oh no, oh god, is this going to be? How hard was Drew laughing during Obsidia or during Gemina? No, that would have been during Illuminate. What am I saying? When they were all trapped on this ship full of this terrible alien virus, I was like. <gasps> is it really going to go that way? But I knew how much I love Illuminae. I was totally down for it, even if it was going to be the same, but then it was just more (laughs) relationship problems and more politics. And then, Oh, the parasite's not that threatening. It's not aerosolized. There's not spores everywhere. Oh, and then we're going to jump into more politics followed by more relationship problems. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And I know everyone's going to take an issue with this analogy, this analogy of mine using, treating it as like a desert, because for everybody, you know, there's going to be stuff to pick up on depending on what you enjoy, what you're interested in. And I will come right out and admit that this, like... Again, this is just beyond me. In the same way a, geolo- like a geologist could dig in desert rock and show me all these striated layers and explain intricate and spectacular things that they can read out of all these little hints, that doesn't make me geologically inclined. I'm just seeing a bunch of fucking rock, and I'm falling asleep. <laughs> Does that make sense?
1: Okay. Yeah, no. I, I think that's a, a reasonable analogy to make there. Mm. Yeah. Um. Oh.
0: Well yeah. my my last this is my last style it's not a style point, it's just a statistic here. I decided to look up in this book how many times each of the following words showed up, how, how frequent they are. The word politics twenty eight times. The word okay. political forty five times. The word diplomat thirty six times. The word ambassador one hundred and twenty four times. Right? So there was it was about Every half page or so, I was going, ah, crap! This is more of what I don't like. <laughs> you know, how about, I'm coming off so fucking ignorant right now. Ah, oh, I hate it.
1: Ugh. Do you? So don't you take have me the, seriously, the anybody. Sorry. You have the ebook. I have the ebook right beside me. Look up think. valence. Valence? Oh, I think I once want to or see how many times I'm Taking
0: chemistry now. One second. Yeah. <laughs> So, all right, word or picture, valence, E-N-C-E, go. We are looking at a grand total of two pages, so it's five on the first, so six times it's been used.
1: Okay. That wasn't as bad as I expected it to be.
0: Neither of these were as bad as I expected. I put down like politics or political, I was expecting to see 494 times is what I was expecting to see. (laughs) Oh, oh my god.
1: But yeah. Yeah. Okay, well let's let's move into our character discussion here.
0: Oh, oh okay.
1: <laughs> Alright, let's start with Mahit and Three Seagrass. Okay. I know I know they're not your favorite. No, what gave it away? But I like again, to me, a very similar reaction um, to their relationship in the first book. Uh they're adorable to me. But uh, this is one of the reasons I love this book so much. That bittersweet ending. That heartbreaking decision. The knowledge that Mahit has that she does not belong in the city. She is not Texcalanli. She cannot do that. Not if she's going to retain her sanity. And not if she's going to, uh, you know, put into a relationship what Three Seagrass deserves. But she still loves her. And she still wants her. And she's now cut off from the one place she felt was home. And, And it's this, like, melancholy... Moment, you know, in the hydroponics garden at the end there. And and her saying, you've asked me twice now. What I want is to feel like if you ask me a third time, I can say yes. That line uh, was woof, that so good. That was, yeah. And, and so... You know, there's, there's all the diplomat stuff. There's all the linguist, you know, the desire to be a poet. They both have this desire to be poets. And both, like, uh, like I, I think a lot of artists uh, feel, there's a, there's a bit of imposter syndrome going on. You know, they, they both feel like they don't belong. They can't call themselves poets. Yet they continually surprise each other with turns of phrase, poetic descriptions like, oh, maybe you are a poet. Maybe I can be a poet. I I just... I loved... I loved the tenderness of their relationship and the, the way their character arcs intertwined. Mm-hmm. It was so appropriate for Three Seagrass to stop at LaSalle Station and pick up Mahid. It... Like like three seagrass. And this is why I'm talking about them together, because I feel like separate. They're not. They're like, they're not enough separate. They need to be together to be f- like to, to reach their potential as characters. Not that they're not fully realized characters individually because they are, but they're just so much better together. And that's why splitting them apart, but keeping that tenuous connection writing letters at the end, I think was a stroke of brilliance.
0: I was really invested in the relationship in the first book. I remember that very specifically I remember that. Mm-hmm. I think it was more on account of the curiosity of it. it was it was a what is this kind of relationship which was exciting, it was new. Uh, for, for this book it, it felt more like what does this relationship mean? And mm-hmm. how is it? How are we going to treat this relationship in in an order of priority with all of our other problems? I I wasn't as into it this time around. Um, and as far as everything going on around the relationship, like starting with Mahit, well, with with in her problems in book one, I was more invested in those as well because we had the secret of the amago, and her her this burgeoning relationship with Three Seagrass that was starting in this book. These two were just kind of at each other's throats. Like constantly, and a huge part of their narrative involves like their relationship problems, not not really stalling, but di- distracting in some ways away from the monumental events that they're finding themselves lucky enough to or unlucky enough to be a part of. <laughs> like, my most frustrated moment with these two was during the video message response to 8 Antidote. Mm, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're, I mean, they were really frustrated at the time, and I totally understand that because I was frustrated at the time. They were in the <laughs> middle yeah. of negotiations, and they got interrupted <laughs> to go answer a email for all for lack of a better term <laughs> Like, they were in overwhelming circumstances, they were in extraordinary conditions, they they were interrupted in that crucial moment, but Mahit seemed physically incapable of considering the fact that of all the times to be letting your relationship problems get in the way of your professional duties, perhaps when you're in the middle of sending a message to the heir of the empire, the entire empire, about the potential threat from another alien race may not be the best time to start throwing petty jabs at your jilted lover. It frustrated me. And for sure, it wasn't yeah. just here for Mahit. The entire book, she is constantly flipping through every word she hears directed to or about her from every mouth, particularly three seagrasses, primed and ready at all times. And just waiting to, for the loose possibility of interpreting something unflattering or condescending about her being a barbarian. Like, I'm sorry, she spends the entire book, every waking moment, seemingly waiting to be the victim. All the time with someone else's prejudice, and I just I don't really I can't stand that kind of personality. Hmm. So I did not like me for this book either. <laughs> I'm being so fucking
1: okay. Odd. Okay. Oh
0: God. <laughs> I'm just like I want to melt into my chair and just stop talking.
1: No, it's fine. I mean, th- this <sighs> is this is why we do this, right? Like this is probably the not... book that
0: you and I are at most at odds on that we've ever yeah. done in terms. It's, of very, possible. it's yeah. very possible. It's very
1: possible. Three seagrass. Uh, can I
0: bitch about three seagrass now, or do you have? Do you want to respond to that first?
1: No, you can. You can go. <laughs>
0: okay, thanks. Uh, I loved three seagrass in the first one. I was. I-, I remember yeah. just championing so much for her, and, and like. In this book, she was frustrating to read from my perspective, and it, I, I've got nothing in common with her. I don't like to travel myself. I'm not a very widely-traveled person, nor do I have the desire to travel very far. Some areas in specific, but no, I don't like travel for, the, for the, just the sake of traveling. I'm male. I have no patience for poetry or symbolic language or the tools to understand them, <laughs> really. I hate characters who are easily distracted when more important things are going on. And Three is every goddamn one of those things made flesh. <laughs> I can see why people love her. If you, th- I can see that. I can see why. She's I just had to push myself through her viewpoints. A, a moment where she really frustrated me. For for anybody that wants an example, it was beginning, uh, near the beginning of this week's reading. It was in chapter 10, and I have the quote here. She was aware of the process of understanding what it was she was seeing. And then it goes on to explain what we already know as readers, that this here that she's seeing, this person is not 19 ads. But even though we already knew it, Three Seagrass realizes it's not 19 ads. We still have to sit through an entire paragraph of three reasons why Three Seagrass knows this isn't 19 ads. And one of those reasons, she decides halfway through to add exposition to one of those reasons as well. And I would like to point out that not only are we being beat over the head with this information that we already know, because Seagrass needs to compile a mental list of how she knows what we already know, but this is happening while they're discussing the aliens and what they responded to that first message and what's going to happen next. It's just so much of Three Seagrass's inner dialogue going on and interrupting everything that I want to get back to. (laughs) Like her see, attention is constantly wandering all the time. See for
1: me, like that, that was a brilliant scene for me it's, because it, that's a that's a, a sterling example of showing instead of telling. She's telling us that three seagrass knows that it's not nineteen ads. but in that, it's showing us so much about what's going on inside. Seagrass. It's it's giving sure. us a look at her internal landscape and and showing us how unsettled she is in her current circumstances and and how torn she is over the decision she's made and and the fight that she just had and I don't, I thought that was such a brilliant character it's, moment. It <laughs> reads very genuine and it reads very human, very character like it. That is
0: a that's. I'll even say it's great character work as well. Yeah, uh, It's just I I'm, I'm want to know what's happening and she can't stop <laughs> thinking about all these things that have nothing to do with what's going on right now. And it's yeah. interrupting my flow of what I mm-hmm. want. And I'm being very selfish as a reader. And so I, well, I, it, <laughs> I, mean, I, don't, I don't
1: think you're asking. being selfish. You know, it's just <laughs> what, what it comes down to there is that the author is more concerned with exploring different conflicts than you are.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I will agree 100% with that. Um, Let's see here. Oh, (laughs) while they were being debriefed after their first conversation in the desert, Three Seagrass has a thought when they're... I think they're back talking with Nine Hibiscus again. When she was less dehydrated and less exhilarated, she would examine the political situation on the wait for the wheel with the attention it obviously deserved. (laughs) And I read that going, oh, God. Oh, no. Oh, please don't do that. Oh, please don't do that. Don't put me through that.
1: Uh, she never really got a chance, so...
0: Yeah, I just... That right there is just why I'm like... Mm, I want, where's 8 Antidote? Where's 9 Hibiscus? Let's get back to so the aliens.
1: Ha, how I, no, much... To get, I'm sorry, curious. How much do you think it hurt three Seagrass as a character not having 12 Azalea around anymore? Oh, read Do you think he was a big Pe- part of why you liked her Pe- so much in in the first book? Was their friendship?
0: Um, yeah, I can see that. I did not even consider that. I, 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 yeah, I, that could very well be it. It was the fact that her relationship with Mahit was new, and we would we didn't know what it was or where it was going, so it felt exciting and fresh, and she had that long-standing relationship with Twelve Azalea, and they knew each other so well that they already know, knew all the buttons to press on one another, and it was entertaining in that kind of its own way, right? Yeah, but with like... Mahit, she's just arguing all book long, this book.
1: Like, with Three Seagrass in the first book, she is firmly rooted. She's operating off of a strong foundation. She's in her element. She's doing what she's been trained to do. She has people around her that she knows and trusts. And Mahit represents something new and exciting. In this book, Three Seagrass is totally unmoored from everything that gave her that foundation. She's doing a new job that she's probably not really trained for. She's lost her, her, uh, uh, what do you, what do you call it? Like her, uh, patron, so to speak in 19 ads. Uh, she's, uh, she's lost her best friend and that new relationship is moving out of its honeymoon phase where it's not just like, Oh, this is the new exciting thing. This is now like, this is something real that I need to figure out how to navigate You know, like, so I wonder if losing that stability as like a, a home base where she can go be adventurous and then return to, you know, this, this rock, she's had that rock torn out from under her and now she's completely untethered and she can be flighty or she's, she has to be flighty in her interior landscape, which you don't like
0: yeah yeah like I don't want anybody to come out of this thinking that I, I don't think that she's a well written character or that she's not very sure. human and very realized in her own mm-hmm. right um, it's just it's not the kind of person that I would want to hang out with or listen to <laughs> speaking constantly and about every little thing that comes to her mind when there's more important things going on and I'm more, I'm a simpler more direct blunt tell me the facts tell me what I need to know right now let's make something happen and see something cool I don't like all of this beating around the bush okay well well let's uh let's talk about eight antidote now yes let's talk about eight antidote
1: because to me he is the gem of this book
0: the gem of this book good good okay okay justify that I mean I mean who knows will I agree will I not am I gonna be more contradictory a
1: a child's point of view in yep. an adult book yeah is a daring thing to do. And she nailed it. He is so... Just like... You want to just like... Give this kid a hug. You want to help him. You want to... You want to help him navigate this adult world... That he... By necessity lives in. Yes. And you're so proud of him... (laughs) When he figures stuff out. And he does things... The biggest surprise of this book when I first read it was Eight Antidote.
0: I wasn't surprised about how much I enjoyed Eight Antidote at all, because I remember thinking last book, I'm like, oh, this is going to be an important player in the future. I didn't realize that he was still going to be a child in the Mm -hmm. next one. And I liked it. I did like the the juxtaposition with all of these far more mature viewpoints in and around him, you know, like. He was a strong part of my reason for for finishing this book, to be entirely honest. Uh, like, I, I'll say I was most innately invested with him because you know he's mm-hmm. the only young male in the story, right? Um, and he's one of the more engaging characters because he's a future emperor, you know, and he has all these coming of age issues. And by that, I mean the responsibility that's involved. He's not coming sure. of age as an adult, but his responsibility is very much coming of age. Um, I wasn't really particularly interested in his plot line though until the second half. And I will say that he's the one I'm most emotionally invested in, which I don't think will come as a surprise to anyone. You know, she, Martine is clearly taking care to treat this character in a very specific way. Yeah. And and uh, one of my three favorite scenes absolutely does include eight antidotes. And I don't think it's going to be what you think it is.
1: So. Interesting. And I, I just realized none of my three favorites include mm-hmm. him, even though he may have been my favorite character. Well, yeah. My favorite point of view character in the book. Ah, fine distinction. Swarm, either... Swarm, Swarm was my favorite character. <laughs> yeah, Swarm was so cool. Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> there's this one moment from Eight Antidote that felt so incredibly genuine that it made me actually laugh out loud. Martine made me laugh out loud. And there was this errant thought of, of his being Eight Antidote as he thinks about I think he was thinking about his his goodbye, his hug with the um, two cartographer. That's the kid, right? The yeah, yeah.
1: Map, um, yeah.
0: Yeah, it was something like, being 7 <laughs> was so much easier than being 11. Or it was much simpler than being 11. And I was, that that hit me right in the cringe, but in a good way, in a great way. Martine found that shameful moment that everyone has as a teenager, thinking, oh, I'm so glad I'm finally grown up. And still yeah. being amusingly ignorant in the eyes of the actual adults. What a snipe that line was. It was perfectly executed. I will drink mm. to that. The sheer audacity of that thought. Was so genuine. I loved it. It was a great character moment for, for 8 Antidote. And it was a good strike, uh, good yeah. mark in favor of uh,
1: Katie Martin too. And look, I, I think the last thing I'll say in 8 Antidote, and it's really all I need to say, is that the entire time we've been talking about him, I have just had this this smile on my face. <laughs> like, he's just a heartwarming character. A, awesome. Someone you, you want to root for, you're proud of for his achievements mm-hmm. you're sympathetic when he fails his chemistry with eight,
0: uh, three azimuth
1: yeah yeah
0: awesome awesome stuff
1: yeah so uh yeah now, now let's let's move on to nine hibiscus okay and uh and and 20 saccadix i think they're again they're kind of a package deal cool cool um interestingly swarm is my favorite character in the book I didn't really care for Nine Hibiscus. There were some there were some fun scenes with her, but her problems I didn't care much about. And this is this is my second, like fairly big criticism. Again, in the grand scheme of things, small. But relatively in this book, one of my two biggest criticisms, along with the epigraphs, is like I just didn't uh, I, I didn't get invested in her conflict with sixteen moonrise. I didn't ever like how do I put it like I, I never felt like I was fully on her side. Like I, I never understood her uh, in in terms of what made her tick. There's a lot of about her that we find out but we don't find out her if that makes sense we we hear so much like oh she inspires loyalty she's she's got the the imposing frame she's a great you know fleet captain you know she's strategically smart all of these things but we don't really know what makes her tick and because of that i felt like her Points of view were pretty much just like a clear window for me to observe events.
0: Yeah, cool. So to follow that up, I'd ask then: Did did we? Is there any moment? Because I don't remember any of these moments, but I could have. I could. My memory is terrible. Let, let that record stand. Do we <laughs> ever get to see Nine Hibiscus happy or smiling at any point in this book?
1: Maybe the closest is did the, she when ever get a swarm break? is in quarantine and he calls her my dear. But, oh, but even she's that, she's out. kind of, yeah, she's like, she's internally thrilled, but she's upset about it as well.
0: Yeah, because that doesn't bode well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know, because, like, I remember coming out of part one and saying, I am. I want to get back to Nine Hibiscus. And all through part two, I kept saying, I want to get back to Nine Hibiscus. But it wasn't until in part two that I realized it's really not Nine Hibiscus herself that I want to get back to. It's what's going on around her. Yeah, I'm not... I Also, I'm not particularly invested in her as a character. I just wanted to get back to her because of of what she was involved with. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, she had this incredible reputation that, for me, didn't even come close to living up to. Like, too much of her inner conflict seemed to revolve around 20 Cicada. And while that is absolutely excusable and understandable, she's human, after all. I just, I wasn't really impressed with her, like, fatalistic attitude about needing to pulverize that planet at first, you know considering how late her orders came to cease the attack. And, and losing 20 Cicada, like, she just... she That... She's just so vulnerable. I wasn't expecting yeah. her to be so vulnerable over the idea of losing 20 Cicada with a reputation like hers. So, yeah. I was kind of just not impressed, and because of that, she kind of fell flat for me.
1: I, I, yeah, like, I, I feel like I understand what Martine was going for with her, but... Uh, but like you said, it it just sort of fell flat. Like, her two biggest conflicts were both ended in sadness. Right? Like, there's this whole political uprising, like, on, near mutiny by half of her Legion's fleet captains. And we don't really get a resolution to that story. It, and then and then she has to order the deaths of at least the the command crew of the 24th Legion. And then her other her other conflict is who is she without 20 cicada? And I feel like we never really found out who she is without 20 cicada, and then she loses 20 cicada. So it's like she she just ends in sorrow. And we don't know enough about her as herself to to wonder or to care about what she's going to do going forward. Like like for me, I I was gripped, you know, by by the implications of Mahit living in the empire of Texcalan but not living in Texcalan. With, my, uh, with Three Seagrass. I was gripped by the implications of that. I was not... I, I never, ever, through two readings of this book, wondered, oh, what is Nine Hibiscus going to do now? Never wondered that. I didn't care.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I agree with that. I just... Again, this has to do with, with my own expectation, perhaps, letting me down in large part. But I came out of part one expecting... Nine hibiscus to have this huge, dramatic, maybe even sacrificial saving play, and she was going to show us why her troops adore her in the way they do. But we never got anything like that, and so I was like, mm-hmm. "Oh, okay." Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, and as far as the twenty cicada goes, twenty cicada oh. slash swarm slash best part of this my fucking man. book, my man, my man. My man, <laughs> Tony Cicada. I liked him right away. Uh, I didn't know why. I couldn't pinpoint why. I think he was a nice counterpoint to the the gravity and the seriousness that Nine Hibiscus brought to the table as a, as, you know, as a leader, as she should have. But, I mean, everything about this guy, from the point, that the fact that they, they brought, was it a, a tapestry or a wall hanging of his, a covering uh-huh. of his, to, to shield themselves in the sun, and he was so concerned with getting it back, you know, the... The, the the little kitten that he adopted, which by the way, no. was there. This is going to be perhaps an unpopular opinion. What was the reason of this of, for the cat? Why?
1: Because it's adorable. Okay, listen,
0: listen. Was it necessary? <laughs> yeah, it's cute. Nobody who knows me is going to doubt that I love kitties. Okay, I am un- I am an unashamedly Canadian stereotype of bubbles from Trailer Park, do- trailer park Boys. I love the kitty, but. <laughs> I ended the book going why was that there what was the point of it though and i'll tell you what i thought there was going to be a point to it and i thought it was going to be really dumb it was not dumb if it's just going to be just to have the kitten it's like okay i guess but i'll tell you how stupid i thought it was going to be i thought these aliens were going to be like freaked out by the cat i thought it was going to be like some 1999 <sighs> mummy movie right when they show the cat and, the, and Imhotep <sighs> yeah, goes, yeah, yeah 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 uh, and he <laughs> flies out the, the the door in a big you know whirl of sand and power. I thought okay. that these these damn <laughs> aliens were going to be afraid of this cat. That's what I thought was going to happen. And so I was like, is this going to be why? No, it was just there to be a kitty.
1: No, and I was well, like, so okay. I I All say right. that a little facetiously. It yes, it was there to be adorable and to be a kitty. But it also served as a, like a totem. Uh, and this is one of the reasons I thought Twenty Cicada was such a great character. Was because he was character point. A foil for Mahid in terms of people whose cultures have been uh, in opposition to and, and subsumed by imperial Texcalon. He, like Mahid, willingly went. Into the Tixcalanli culture, but the manner in which he did it retained a hard core of his his previous identity. Whereas Mahit really loses that stationer identity, and and you could say that by the end of the first book, and that's why she left. That's why she felt like she had to go back home was because she was she was losing. Her sense of self, her culture, and by the end of this book, she has lost it completely. She's now been exiled. She has, you know, she's she's been cut adrift. But unlike uh, unlike Swarm, Mahi doesn't go willingly. She's she's seduced, but she's aware of the seduction. And so, with with twenty cicada, what I think, uh, you know, all of these accoutrements, the tapestry, the plants, the cat, all of these things are totems to him that anchor him to each of the aspects of his personality. We have the tapestry, which is an indicator of his submission to imperial tixkalonli culture we have the plants which are his uh his loyalty to the the homeostat religion and then we have the cat which is a relic of his military past in and he, note note he doesn't like the cat but he takes care of it
0: Remember earlier how I said, this book is just way over my head. This is exactly <laughs> what the fuck I'm talking about, Drew. This. You found it. I just, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not one to pick up on these kinds of things. I was like, oh, it's a cute cat. Oh, that's a really cool room. That's a cool character uh, note. Oh, this guy does a few really, really cool things. This guy's my favorite character. That's awesome. That's sacrifice. I think I'm going to eat this fungus. What a line that was. Oh my God. <laughs> so i I don't notice all of the intricacies i don't notice everything to i'm I'm too close i can't take that objective step back and look at the at the big picture and think about what it means in the way that a lot of who this book is written for
1: can do hi (laughs) yes hi (laughs) (laughs) i mean i i loved I loved what Marty did. What this, with 40 is, this book is
0: a catalyst for the, the the chemistry between Rob and Drew. This separates what we each get and what we bring to the table out of reviewing a book. You want the heavy literary analysis. You want something insightful? Ask Drew. You want to slap your knee and just have a stupid, immature comment? Right here. Hi. I'm your guy. <laughs>
1: oh, but so. that's that's what makes this podcast fun. You know, it's and and we and we find our Fire. our middle ground. You know, we many of the books we've covered, we like for similar reasons to similar extents. You know. Yeah. But but this yeah, this is- this book I will freely admit this is a this is crack for Drew.
0: This is
1: <laughs> yeah, and this is a lot
0: of just this is sand for Rob.
1: No. And and Rob is Anakin Skywalker.
0: Yes, it, it's coarse and it gets everywhere. What's how's the quote? It's rough. It's coarse. It gets everywhere. Never. I'm just That's again Drew's territory. Star Wars is Drew's territory. Oh man. All right. Miscellaneous yeah, points. Uh, Do we have anything else about uh, characters or about 20 Cicada in particular before we talk about other characters?
1: Um, if any. I think I'm done with my character notes. That humi-
0: yeah, humongous bitch. Sixteen moon moon moonrise. Anything you want to follow up on that? Nah.
1: Yeah, she got blasted, eh? Yeah, good she riddance. Did. <laughs> um. No, I think I'm done with character stuff. And this is actually killing me because I had a, a miscellaneous point to bring up and it has now escaped me. Well, I
0: can start with miscellaneous. Maybe it'll come to you or shake something loose. Okay. Yeah, do that. The first of mine was the kitten. but We talked about that already. Um. Yeah we had references to some in universe pop culture things i specifically liked the so-called shatter harmonic music scene that sounds yeah. really badass and this goes into this again this world building thing that that's that's what i took most out of this book series about, about like out of Tix colón and arcady Martins work i love her world building she is amazing at it I love this whole view at what the possible like the future of humanity could be or civilization or society could be with that much te- that much technology but still wanting to retain the aspects that make us human shatter mm-hmm. harmonic music scene That just sounds so freaking cool a lot of these sets are amazing too like at uh, oh god what's the name of the of the room where um, uh, three azimuth is is in the his in the, uh, directing the pilots in eight oh, in, like what's the that?
1: the like planning room in the ministry. Yeah. Yeah. There's a
0: screens everywhere and it's all dark. Yeah. It just, it sounded so cool. It was oh, map, a map it. room something like that. Something, something too. I want to say it was, Oh, well, oh you know I don't what I remember mean. the actual, there's so many really cool set pieces and really cool world building things. And just like musical genres, everything. I mean, the graphic stories, like every, there's so much of it to be found here. There is a, this is a very clearly defined and realized world. And there's a lot to, to take out of it there. You, like, she needs to create a uh, an in-universe sort of uh, encyclopedia of sorts because there is a lot of actually well, yeah, yeah, I could see that actually being a thing. There's just a lot. There's a lot to sustain it.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I could see that happening. So um, I did remember my um, good my miscellaneous good. Point. and and this ties back to the criticism I had with Nine Hibiscus, where I felt like her conflicts were never. F- fully resolved and she never had the time to get established as a character. And, and that got me thinking, you know, as I was saying that, how this is a really fast paced book events. Really? Just go. <laughs> there's, there's, I expected going in, I expected there to be much more of like a drawn out campaign, more more like checkpoints along the way, but things just moved, moved, moved. You know, we we hit that. You know, we we have right at the beginning in chapter ten the the meeting with the aliens for the first time. Right, the rest of the book basically takes place over a day.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a very long day.
1: <laughs> and so. I I was thinking about that, and then I remembered. So I follow Arcady Martine on Twitter, and I remembered her tweeting during the writing of this book how she is different from a lot of authors in that many authors write a book, a first draft, and then, like, for instance, Brandon Sanderson, he trims. He gets rid of things. He he writes, you know, he wrote the first draft of Oathbringer and it was 520,000 words. And he ended up trimming 60,000 words. Nearly a, like, really a novel, a short novel, but a novel's worth of words. He cut from that book. Arcady Martine underwrites. She talks about how her... You know, her struggle writing novels, she's written two now, has been underwriting. And her editor comes back and says, you need to expand this. We need more here. And I think that's what's going on here. Is uh, And I'm sure she, you know, I, in fact, I know she underwrote this book because she tweeted about it. Uh, but I think even in the final version, it's underwritten just a little bit. So this is one of those cases where I think a book really like if if this were to be a like a perfect five-star book for me it needed two or three more chapters of Nine Hibiscus.
0: Sure. Yeah.
1: Give me give me 10,000 words of Nine Hibiscus more than we got in this book. And then I would I would be very close to saying it's a perfect five.
0: Oh, see, how would I say for a perfect five? I would say, give us a little more of the aliens, uh, make them like like lead us into a bigger conflict or resolve it. Because at the end of the book, there's, there's still a lot of tension with the aliens. I suppose, even though like sure. Sure. it's starting to be turned around. Hopefully, with what uh, with what twenty cicada, my man has done here. God, what a badass move that was. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I would have wanted more of the aliens and I would have wanted three seagrass to focus on what was happening.
1: That would have been <laughs> what I would have wanted. Okay, okay. Uh, um, do you have any other miscellaneous points or shall we get into our uh, our naming?
0: Uh, I figured we we're going to end the episode with that, but we could do it soon. Okay. If we could do it next if you want to. I just have a couple more miscellaneous points.
1: Yeah, no, do, do your miscellaneous stuff. One points.
0: thing, I learned a new word. I always said I'm going to point this out whenever I learn a new word, and the one I'm going for with today, going for with today, listen to me. Atavistic. Relating to or characterized by reversion to something ancient or ancestral. Mm-hmm. I did not previously know the word atavistic. That is one that Arcady Martin taught me. Very nice. Um, and I just have one prediction. Even though I know this this storyline is wrapped up, there's still going to be more in this universe written i want to see that from the future adult aid antidote's point of view that'd be cool as a true coming of age story perhaps Ooh, that that could be fun or maybe one that just picks up with him already as emperor established in his office but i was i still want to see yeah the future of aid antidote i would love to see that Mm -hmm. and that is actually the end of my miscellaneous i have favorite scenes but if you want to get into our naming first we could do that uh yeah let's do the naming before favorite scenes Okay, why don't you uh, explain what's going on and kick us off?
1: Yeah, so we decided, yeah, uh, you know, just as a, as a fun thing, you know, we would we would pick our Texcolonly names, and uh, and and you know, we, we'd be really interested. Our, our listeners, you know, tweet at us or, or post on our Facebook, you know, let us know what you would pick for your Texcolonly name. Because this is actually pretty fun. Uh, obviously, it's a a number and a noun. There's uh, a, a bit of a cultural stricture in terms of the nouns. You're not supposed to pick animals, which is another reason why twenty cicada is
0: such a badass. Also really rebel.
1: interesting he not only picked a forbidden <laughs> animal noun but picked a lowly insect. Um oh, oh, actually, before I get into this, Rob, when did you realize that he was going to become part of the hive mind?
0: When did I realize?
1: Yeah. Like did his nickname No, no, give you no. Foreshadowing? I did
0: not pick up on that until okay. the uh... The laughing name line, and I'm sort of ashamed of that, that I didn't pick up on it earlier, but uh, no, no, I didn't, like, I didn't see it coming. I didn't realize how ironic or laugh at the irony of that until I was told to laugh. Oh, okay. All right. Hey, I'm a simple guy, man.
1: <laughs> okay. Anyway, so, so yeah, with, with Texical only Names, you pick a number, typically... A uh, lower number, but a uh, number between 1 and 100 is standard. Uh, a, a number between 1 and 20 is very common. Uh, that's, that's like... Uh, so, so there was a, a good little article that Tor put out on textual Only Naming. And they said numbers from 1 to 20 are the most common number parts and suggest tradition and normalcy. Think names like John, Elizabeth, Maria, Jose, Mohammed. Names that lots of people have and aren't unusual choices. Numbers from 21 to 60 are slightly more unusual, but not weird in any way. They're just a the sort of name that is a little more unique. Think Nadia, Malik, Yuko, Gabriel, or Mackenzie. Numbers from 61 to 99 are less common, but no one is really going to blink at them. Think... Clemency, or Ezekiel, or Thor. Numbers over 100, and I got a crack out of this, are like naming your kid Moon Unit or Apple. Or like Elon Musk's...
0: Uh, God, what's this damn kid's name? Oh, it's like Ash something something. Is, have you seen how this thing is spelled?
1: Yeah, it's... Yeah, I've, I have seen it. It's like X-AE21 or something <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah. Yeah. X-Ash and or then, something like that. Yeah, yeah and, and so... So then, you know, there's nouns, uh, as as I said, no animals and no self-propelled inanimate things. So, Whoa. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it, it said, boat is an acceptable noun, but self-driving car is not. And then in in a parenthetical, honestly, both boat and self-driving car are names that Texkelon Leedslim would laugh at.
0: <laughs> yeah, they would. I mean, I'd laugh at them just now. I don't even have the context. At least for Wow, okay.
1: So, So, Rob.
0: I am going to introduce myself to you today as 27 Sativa. 27 Sativa, okay. 27, because that's just my lucky number. We started this podcast on the 27th day of the month on my 27th birthday, for starters. Um, And as far as Sativa goes, um, I considered it. I dismissed it at first because I just hate being a stoner stereotype. But it yep. occurred to me that this is absolutely counted as a flower. And so yep. it was just too good not to use. I am definitely 27 Sativa.
1: All right. Yeah, that's that's definitely a Texcal only name. They they mm, love their flowers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, very nice. Well, wrong I, I drew. I am 9 Lexicon.
0: Lexicon. Appropriate.
1: I very appropriate. Yeah. I like you, nine is my number. Uh, I thought about 94. The the two numbers I have worn most commonly in hockey are nine and 94, but I am for sure a more like traditional person. Uh, My name is Drew. I feel like, (laughs) you know, Andrew, that's a pretty traditional name. Uh, And, and the, the, the 61 to 99 range there. I'm like, I don't think that really fits me. So I can't do 94. And then lexicon, not only the word side of it, but the, again, the form, the, the, the like guidepost of it fits my aesthetic, I think. I think it does so.
0: too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. This has been 27 Satina, Sativa signing off with Nine Lexicon. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, and and okay. now we
1: have to do our three favorite scenes.
0: Okay. Three favorite scenes. Shall I start or are you starting? Uh, you can go first. Okay. My third favorite scene in this book is the Dekako Anchu interlude. Specifically, and Anchu sitting in the nexus of Pilot's Command. For her, the true heart of LaSalle, no matter what heritage believed about their room repository of Imago machines. Anchu, sitting there, has to ask her pilot to not come home. To not lead that hungry thing that Tarots thinks could devour an empire back to the fragile shell of LaSalle Station. It is the worst thing she's ever done. What a powerful writing that was. That was
1: some. That was a heavy bit there. That was a good one. Well done. For sure. My third favorite scene was the showdown on the bridge of Wait for the Wheel when Mahit raises her hand to slap Counselor Darj Tarats. Mm. <laughs> yeah.
0: And we wanted... Oh, we were frothing at the mouth just to get that little bit that we wanted? Yes. Yes, we did. And I love three was... seagrasses, a bit of a, a bit of chewing up there in this scene, too. It was great. She is sharp when
1: she wants to be three secrets. Oh yeah oh yeah. She's she, uh, can, she
0: can impale you before you realize you've been
1: punctured. Mm-hmm. Yep. Tongue like a razor.
0: <laughs> Tongue like a, yeah, like I was gonna say like a fungus that just spreads through your whole body. <laughs> just boom. I wanna know what how like I wanna know what Tarats did immediately following this conversation. He I you just gotta stare at the wall and go, oh, my god. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I stuck with him probably. Okay, my second favorite scene. And this is my my eight antidote scene. Um, but mm-hmm. it's not the one in the uh, in the shard trick. This is his first visit to the spaceport. When the alarms first start going off and the crowd surges and he finds himself all alone. And terrified and, to use his own specific words, the only one who doesn't know what to do. And that overwhelming effect that has... The, the, the overwhelming effect of that many emotions... And the body's natural childlike response to just start crying because he's, he's still young, but he's also at the same time, just adult enough to be ashamed by it. I mean, I, it's it's been a long time since I felt something like that, but I still remember that feeling exquisitely mm-hmm. being like a 10 or 11 year old and thinking this is too much. Am I going to start crying? And because I think, oh my God, am I going to start crying? I start crying. Mm -hmm. and that i mean it hits hard that is some wonderful raw emotion tapping there on martin's part and it really worked for me
1: yeah very nice
0: yeah oh and it made that later scene so much more appropriate and awesome when he decides i'm gonna take things into my own hands i love i'm gonna go back yeah i'm gonna go back to that same spaceport and he
1: already has ptsd from it
0: Oh Did we ever find out what happened? What was that inc- like what derailed the train and what incendiary device that was?
1: No, uh we we never found out. I I read that as um it totally was a bomb. Yeah. But so but happened? she just she just left don't... it up in the air because it yeah. didn't you didn't really need to know.
0: You just needed him to have PTSD to have the context for him to make that decision to go back Mm -hmm. and and appreciate what sacrifice he was making to do that. Yes. Okay. I just I would have liked to know what it was, but yeah, (laughs) maybe we don't need to. This is not one of those need to know things. This is
1: just like a hey, you know. Yeah. Uh, So my second favorite scene was our first contact scene with Mahit and three seagrass singing to the aliens out on the silica sands that was yeah. quite a scene
0: oh my god that might have been yeah I was, uh, god I was, it's gonna be an honorable mention for me that scene but i mm-hmm. feel like it should have been my number one because that's where i was the most interested in what was going on you know like ooh, this is gonna be a really amazing rest of the book and then we just didn't get much more out of the aliens But yeah, I loved that scene. I loved that scene. Yeah. So So what was your favorite? My favorite scene in the whole book. And this will probably come as a surprise to nobody who knows me a lot. And this is the interlude with Six Rainfall. Because I love me a creepy horror short story. And this medtech that first encounters the alien fungus. From the first glimpse of that fungus, I was terrified. Just as soon as we got the description of a fungus, I was terrified. It was just so creepy and ominous, it being this whole scene. I mean, in horrifying and chilling and outright spooky, every word felt like it was written, not by a different author, but by the same author writing an entirely different book. And I, that book, I would have really, really liked to read. <laughs> she has that world building aspect down. I keep talking about her world building. It's, it's it's her strongest ability, and she can write creepy. She can absolutely write creepy. This scene is everything about Arcadia Martin that I do like, and I can't find any, anything in here that I didn't like. So this had to be my number one spot for today, the the, the, the horror interlude with six rings. That,
1: Just- that was definitely uh, an honorable mention for me, and uh, like Illuminae, the honorable mention I had for that book was similarly the, the Med Journal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah twenty six. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but my favorite scene. I've already read part of it. I'm gonna read the end of it. It is the postlude. Oh yeah. Language is not so transparent, Twenty Cicada thinks thinks out, a long reaching flicker through all of himself, which is all of the we together and still himself, ourselves. Language is not so transparent. But we are sometimes known, even so. If we are lucky. Slide, shimmer, query, the endless curiosity and want and reaching that is the we, thinking without language. Show us, then. And on Peloa 2, in the desert night, waiting for the shuttle that will take his body to a more hospitable environment, what remains of Twenty Cicada settles, cross legged in the sand and begins to try.
0: Hmm. What remains of 20 cicada? Ah, it's one of those things where you want so badly to see that, but at the same time, you're kind of glad that it was left open to your worst nightmares.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, it was deftly done.
1: What, what an ending. Yeah. Great ending.
0: Great final paragraphs. Yeah. I've d I have to say that. I did a lot of bitching in the first half, and I did not so much bitching in the second half of today. But, yeah, I mean, there was lots that I did like in this book. Just, mm-hmm. I don't think I was the target audience. And uh, <laughs> that was very evident for me. Oh, man.
1: But, yeah, so uh, shall we move on to the final draft and close this yeah. thing out? Yeah.
0: Yeah, let's, let's wrap this up with a final draft. I'll start, uh, as, as is usual for me. Um, and as is unusual for me, I did not bring an alcoholic beverage or any water today or a juice beverage of any kind. For the first time, I'm bringing something hot to drink. I myself poured just a regular Keurig Donut House coffee and I mixed it with some Bailey's cream and some uh, sweetener because i am on the keto diet so i can't have too much sugar um but yeah i mean (laughs) a standard coffee great coffee that bailey's cream was excellent stuff no alcohol obviously in that bailey's cream but i mean it was uh it was just ambrosia i am starting to get more and more addicted to coffee now and um (laughs) i cannot say i regret it very nice those who are listening carefully can probably tell that i'm a little uh overly caffeinated i've been pretty rambunctious (laughs) today and i can't really find my words as well as i normally don't (laughs) so yeah i'm drinking coffee
1: what about you man i am drinking an imperial stout from anchorage brewing company good old anchorage uh this is an imperial stout fermented and aged in missouri oak barrels and finished on hazelnuts, Madagascar vanilla beans, raw coconut, and lactose. It is 15% alcohol by volume. It is super sweet. Uh, not getting a whole ton of, of that oak. I have to admit, I've had a few of these uh, Anchorage, Missouri oak, Imperial stouts. And this one, I'd say, is the least woody of all of them tons of coconut, just super sweet coconut. Very boozy as you would expect for a 15% beer. But this one goes for for several of the characters in this book, for Mahi, for 16 Moonrise. It's called Sent by Liars. Oh,
0: nice. Damn, nicely done, man. Nicely done.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's uh It was definitely tasty. Not my favorite of the uh Anchorage beers that I've had, but but definitely pretty good. So I can't complain. And it's a fun name. You know, that's that's what I do. It's it's why uh why I like these final drafts. Finding yeah. something appropriate. Yeah. Alright. So Yeah, I think that brings us to the end of our episode. This has been episode 117. Yeah, it has. Of the Inking Out Loud podcast. Next up, we are going to be heading into the masterpiece space opera by Stephen R. Donaldson called The Gap Cycle. We will be covering all of the first book, The Real Story, or its full title, The Gap Into Conflict, The Real Story. Uh, we'll be we'll be covering the entire book since it's pretty short. We highly recommend reading along with us uh, as we go through the series. It's it's a lesser known uh, but extremely good uh, space opera, and we're gonna have uh, a few special guests along the way. So tune in for that. If you want to support the show, check us out on Patreon at Patreon.com/slash/inkingoutloud. We got a whole bunch of bonus content over there we've i mean at this point we've probably had 25 or 30 bonus episodes uh we got a a whole bunch of original fiction short stories chapters from from novels uh written by rob and myself so support the show there as always i have been your host drew mccaffrey and with me is my co-host rob santos yo Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye, everyone.